Last week we began our series, Small and Powerful. It was a great start last week. Pastor Cindy brought us a wonderful message. You know, well, you know, this whole thing, right? It, th- these books we're looking at, they, I, at least I always heard them, they were called the Minor Prophets. You know, which kind of, I always thought, well, why would I bother reading those? I mean, you know, right? I mean, I want to read the good stuff, right? So, uh, you know, I think it kind of gets passed over a lot of times. And, and a lot of these are shorter books. So, they can, you know, they don't, they're not the thing of every big Bible study or, you know, a lot of different messages. But uh, the th- here's the thing, though. Isn't it interesting? These minor prophets, right, the things they prophesied, man, were anything but minor, especially to the people that they were speaking to. And so we don't want to just gloss over them and get on to the big books, right? It, it, there's times we need to dry, you know, focus in and, and say, Lord, if you include it in your word, there's a reason. And, and there's an application for me today. Since God's word is living and active, it never goes out of date, right? There's none of it in his word that's like we don't need to care about anymore because it's like not for now. It's no, we need to because it's all here for us and there's things we can learn from it today. So uh, today we're going to... Uh, uh, look at another one. We're going to look at the book of Nahum, N-A-H-U-M, Nahum. Now, I'm sure you all are very familiar with that. <laughs> it's, it's located right between Micah and Habakkuk. Now, I, I was 28 before I could say Habakkuk. <laughs> okay, you know, so, uh, now, before we get started in, in this book, I have a question for you. We talked about it a little bit even this morning. Look, there is stuff in our life that we all go through, right? We all have some. Let's just Let's just kind of shout out, what are a few examples of some of the trials? You don't have to be personal, but just general, in general. What are some of the trials that we go through throughout our lives? What kind of trials? Illness. Illness, yeah, health issues, right? What else? Jobs. jobs. Yeah, jobs. I mean, whether, whether we need one or we lost one or, or we would like to have a better one, you know, right? I mean, all... They're just job issues up and down. Okay, what else? Finances. Finances. Boy, is that true? I mean, is there anybody in this world that is more than 24 that hadn't had a financial issue? I mean, really? We all have, we've all gone through those. What else? Yeah. I mean, where to live and where, you know, where our homes and keeping our homes sometimes or finding one. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there are trials that come where, like yesterday with the the shooting at the at the at the uh, uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh, right? I mean, the the persecution of people with their faith—that's a big trial, which, f- praise God, most of us have not personally faced. But that was a very stark reminder that that can be. Yeah, Jacques. Losing loved ones. Yeah, I mean, you know, and here's the thing, right? If we really thought about it, the list goes on and on. Yeah. We, we, could, we could talk about this because if, if it exists, there's a potential for it to become a trial, yeah. right? And so there's just all these kind of trials. Well, okay, so today we're going to look at that. You know, when I started studying the book of Nahum, I mean, some of these people like that we read the books and, you know, like Isaiah, there's all this information about Isaiah or we read, you know, things about Abraham and, you know, we know a lot about Abraham, so I thought, well, what do, what do we actually know about Nahum? Well, you know, we actually don't know a whole lot, okay? Uh, what we know uh, about personal information, all that tells us in Scripture is that he was from a city in Judah called Elkosh, okay? So we know his hometown. Um, we know that he lived kind of in the 7th century B.C., because that's about when the book was written, and so that's the time of his life and ministry. And the only other thing we know, but it's an important thing to know, is his name, Nahum, means comforter. Yeah, comforter. Isn't it cool in life, you know, how a lot of times, be careful what you name your kids. Right? You know, Jabez prayed a prayer, you know, prayed a prayer that said, please don't let me be like my name because his, well, you know, his mom had had a lot of pain during childbirth and named him Jabez and that meant pain. I mean, and, you know, just think about what that would be all like all your life, right? You know, said, you know, you know, hey, can pain come out and play with me? You know, I mean, I, say, <laughs> I, mean, I, doubt, I doubt he was the most popular kid in town. But, but, I mean, Nahum, what an awesome name. He, his name meant comforter. And you know what? 
he grew up to fulfill the meaning of his name because that's exactly what he was. The book of Nahum records a vision that God gave him. It's, a, it's from God. It's God's word. And, and here's the interesting thing. It was written to his countrymen, the other people of Judah, who for decades, for a long time, had been living under Assyrian persecution. Um, the prophecy that God gave him was scathing towards the Assyrians. I mean, it was, it was, it detailed God's intended judgment of the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So, true to his name, Comforter, this vision, what it foretold was God's coming relief to the people of Judah. So let's read a little bit of that from their Syrian oppression. If you'll turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, uh, if you want to find the book of Nahum, it's in the back of uh, the Old Testament. It'll be on the screen. We're going to read uh, about a third of the, of the book, okay? So I'm going to start with Nahum uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and read verses 1 to 15. So verse 1 starts, it says, A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkashite. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and drives it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation and who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes to the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among the thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be devoured and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah. Fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. And if you just turn, if you're uh, following in your scripture, to chapter 3, the last two verses, verses 18 and 19. So he ends by addressing the king of Assyria directly. He says, King of Assyria, your leaders slumber, your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. Who has not felt your endless cruelty? So Nineveh was the capital of this brutal, ruthless, vile Assyrian empire. Today, uh, the, where, where Nineveh was is, is located basically right next to what's now the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. Uh, interesting thing, uh, though we may not have known a lot about Nahum, but a lot of us might recognize the name of the city of Nineveh, except we recognize it with a different passage of scripture, don't we? We know the story of Jonah. And, and that story is, it kind of ties into this, and it's interesting that about a hundred years before this prophecy was given is when God had called Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh and, and, and preach to that city and speak to it. And so, uh, because, because at that time, God said his impending judgment was on Nineveh a hundred years before. 
So let's look at just real quickly at Jonah uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. So it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I won't read the whole thing now because of time, okay, but you guys, many of you know that that account goes on to tell what happened, right? And Jonah's on the ship. A great storm comes up. The ship is casting about. The sailors are all going, we're going to die because they're, I mean, it's so severe. There is absolutely no way they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to survive it. Jonah, though, knows that the reason for the storm is him. He knows that the storm is from God, and it's because he has run away from God. And so Jonah goes to the sailors and says, throw me overboard. And they're all going, no, we can't throw you overboard. And so they're proposing all these things. But Jonah says, no, if you don't do this, everyone's going to die. And so reluctantly, they throw him, throw him in the water. Amazingly, Jonah 1 verse 17 says, after they threw him into the water, now God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Some people, a whale, a big fish, we, you know. After three days, it goes on, and it tells us that after three days, the fish vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And then Jonah obeyed God. Well, duh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> boy, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, I don't think you would be, I think you're either really brave or really not smart, right? If after, after all that, you'd say, no, I'm still not going to Nineveh. <laughs> I mean, man, so Jonah, but you know what's really good about that? I know it's kind of funny, okay, in a way we read it, okay? When God wants something to happen and he wants you to do it, think about it. Jonah understood he was the cause of the storm, and he was a good enough guy to recognize, to not just want to bring everybody to death with him, okay? I mean, so that's, it's, it's a big thing, but think about it. He was kind enough and thoughtful enough. He said, I, I don't want to kill all these people just because of my disobedience to God. So he actually convinces them to throw him overboard. What, I mean... The only reasonable thing that Jonah could have expected out of that was that he was going to die, right? That his sin by disobeying God had been so bad, and the storm was so bad, and he knew to protect these others, he had to be thrown overboard. What else could he expect that his future held? He, he figured he was dead. But when God wants to use you for something, God will do whatever it takes. I mean, think about it. He brought a fish. I mean, I... Now, I'm one of these guys, I actually believe the Bible. I don't think that's an allegory or an example. I, I think if God, said, if God bothered to tell me that he sent a fish to swallow Jonah, I mean, I think God sent a fish to swallow Jonah, okay? Because I think I serve a God that's big enough he can do that, right? And so God sends his fish, however big it was, whatever kind it was, it swallows Jonah, and, and God keeps Jonah alive for three days inside this fish. Now, I don't know about you, but I expect Jonah was praying, inside that fish. I mean, I, Scripture doesn't tell us, but that's just my own personal interpretation. I expect if you were inside a fish and not quite sure, I think, I think you'd be saying, oh, Lord, you know, what it's, whatever I need to do, God, you know, but I'm, you know, I will listen to you from now on, okay? God, the fish spits him out after three days. And so Jonah went to Nineveh. And he found a really big city when he got there. Nineveh was one of the largest cities in the known world at that time. Okay? And Jonah began to deliver the message to these folks that God had given him. Now, it tells us in historical documents, too, that Nineveh was such a big city, it would take three days to walk across it at that time. So Jonah walked about a day into the city all the way in Jonah 3, verse 4, it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Remarkably enough, 
Now, I mean, okay, one side that some people have said, Jonah must have looked pretty weird. Three days, I mean, if he was really in the belly of a fish, I mean, it's like, think about it. In all of our bellies, we got things to digest food. So some people said he probably looked kind of white and kind of, I mean, you know, kind of like acid had been, you know. I mean, we don't know. Okay, and, and I'm not trying to make it goofy or weird, but I'm just saying I don't think he came out of the fish after three days looking like he had just been to the beauty parlor and, you know, had a, had a, had a facial, okay? I think, I think he probably looked a little, a little different. But, but here's what really matters, okay? When you speak the word of the Lord, it has power. The word of God has power. And so what we know is that he started proclaiming it, and people... Of all things, these were a vile, mean, ruthless. This was a hard group. This would be where you'd say, we're not going to make any progress with the gospel. This is where we'd say, oh, don't bother going to that place. They don't want to hear it. Okay, they kill all the people, right? Because that's kind of what they did. But he went there and he just started saying, think about it. This is a guy that was going to be dead anyway. So, I mean, kind of what he could probably have been the guy that says, what have I got to lose? Right? I mean, I already. And so he goes. But what's remarkable is that people start to repent. The people start to repent. In fact, it says even the king repented. It says they all started to fast and pray and seek God. It says, this is crazy, it says even the cattle fasted. It says the, in God's word, it says the, the livestock fasted. Now, I don't know whether they were forced to by their owners or they chose to on their own. I don't know. All I know is that God did a work using the, the word that he had given Nineveh, and a big revival swept across the city. And it, was, it says in Jonah 3, verse 10, that as a result of that, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Okay, now time passes. Fast forward. Now we're like, remember I said that was 100 years before? So now we're 100 years later. And what happened is after some time, and Scripture doesn't tell us how long, but the people in Nineveh returned to their evil, vile, cruel, brutal ways. Okay? Uh, and now what we find in the book of Nahum is that this, this, this prophecy, this vision that God gave him, God is decreeing Nineveh's destruction. Now I want you to remember that 100 years before, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, he was warning them of the threat of destruction if they did not repent. But they did repent, and God relented. God withdrew his threat of destruction. This time is different. This time, Nahum's prophecy is not even presented to Nineveh. Nahum's prophecy is actually presented in Jerusalem. So now what does that mean? Well, it means that since it's not presented to the people of Nineveh, it means this is no longer up for discussion. Okay? The time has passed. It's no longer God's threat of destruction. It tells us in Scripture that it's God's decree. God has decreed it. A decree is like in a court, when a, a judgment. It's when, it's when the judge says, you're guilty. It's a decree. It's no longer. Uh, uh, before that, we can talk about it, right? Before this, ar- this argument, this argument, that's, that's back how it was 100 years before with Jonah. It was, well, I'm, you know, if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. Well, they repented. God, God withheld his hand of destruction. But now because of their return to that and their vile, evil behaviors, God has decreed that now the matter's settled. Destruction's going to come. Look, the, the people of Judah had been living under this oppression for like almost 100 years themselves, okay? So what this word of, of Nahum was, and I think it's his, because his name means comforter, it was not, you know, to, to warn these guys. It was to comfort the people of Judah who'd been living under this Assyrian oppression for almost 100 years to say, guys, this, is, this isn't going to last forever. Help's on the way. You're going you're gonna to get relief. Just just hold on. It's not going to last forever. Now, throughout our lives, we can find ourselves also, we talked about it earlier, living through a season of difficulty, a season of trial. We can find ourselves, man, you know, you, you think, talk about the things you guys mentioned, right? We can find ourselves being treated unfairly by employers. We can find 
Um, we can be the victim of a slanderous attack. Uh, we, can, we can find ourselves, some of the most hurtful things that would can happen to us is when we find ourselves betrayed by someone that we trust, by somebody that, you know, the closer they are, the more it hurts, right? You know, because we, it, you, don't, you don't see it coming. You, you wouldn't imagine it would happen. But you think about these things that can come. Uh, I mean, it can be, you know, when we can have, we, we talked about it, we can have relationships that can just be, have been harmed somewhere in the past, and it just seems like they'll never get better, no matter what we, you know, we, we almost come to a point where we say, I don't even know how to, how to take the next step, what to do. Our finances, yes. It, and, and here's the thing with all these deals. Some of these hardships and these attacks and these trials for us can go on for a long time. A long time. They can go on for years, sometimes decades. And we can wonder, what am I supposed to do? Right? What am I supposed to do? I mean, can you imagine these people of Judah? You know, here's the thing to kind of remember, right, is, is uh, the, the, these people were... We're looking at God and, and going, God, we know we have all these promises from you, but yet we're living here like being oppressed, being, being beaten, having our, you know, having our crops taken. You know, I mean, if when they're, man, when they were under Assyrian oppression, I mean, it was interesting. The Assyrians left Judah living in Israel. The northern tribes, they took them away. They all got relocated. That was, that was kind of the end of the, the northern tribes, okay? But... But, it, but he, they left them there. But they just came down like raiding parties whenever they wanted and took away their crops if they wanted to take somebody as a slave. Do you see what I mean? I mean, so that you're like living under this constant cloud of you don't know, what, you don't know who's going to you know, ride into town tomorrow and take whatever they want. That's a hard way to live. It's a hard way to live. But that's what they had been going through. And so it just strikes me that that's the same way that a lot of us can be. We can live for years, like, in a job that we just think, Lord, will you ever give me relief from this job? Or we can have health problems, and we think, Lord, you know, how can I, what do you want me to, how do I go forward from here? We can have relationships that we believed in and counted on and thought our lives were built on, and they dissolve, and then we go, I don't even know, you know, how am I supposed to go on, right? What, what, what's, what possibly good can be next? Here, And so as we look at that, I think the real question that we should look at from Nahum for our lives today is how do, how do we live? What are we supposed to do when we find ourselves like the people of Judah in this long-term time of trouble and difficulty? I mean, what, what can it tell us? Well, I think the first thing that we need to look at is we need to take responsibility for our past. Okay? We need to, we, you know, we all got to where we are somehow. Right? We got there somehow. You know, look, we all, and I know how we use that word, right? You know, but we all have a past, literally, physically, spiritually, right? Emotionally, we all have a past. Uh, our individuals have a past, families have a past, even nations have a past. Uh, I think we'd all probably agree. Some things in our past uh, we're proud of. Other things maybe we're not so proud of. But we all have a past. Just like us, Nineveh had a past had a past of being a vile, brutal place. Yet, at a point, under the ministry of Jonah, when the word of God was presented to them, they repented. And God withdrew his hand of punishment, and obviously they were blessed for a period of time. But they turned from it. They, they, They had this moment back in their history when God's word came to them. They could have repented and turned and changed, right? Become become believers and followers of the one true God and, and have started down that path, but they didn't. They, they, they went back. They, they maybe put a foot in, and once the, the problem was gone, right, and life got good again, they thought, well, okay, we can go, you know, we don't. and they started migrating back to previous beliefs. Look, uh, that's because they hadn't completely broken free of their past. They hadn't completely cut it off. They hadn't completely dealt with it. For us to get through difficult times, first of all, we, one of the things we need to do is identify the source of our trial. Right? What, where, where's, this, where's this coming from? And if necessary, you know, here's, I hate to tell us this, okay, but, you know, part of our problem can be us. Right? I mean, 
I know that's not like politically correct these days, you know, to have to take responsibility for ourselves, <laughs> right? But I mean, <laughs> I, right? I mean, I'd much rather, it's much nicer to blame my parents or, you know, my school teachers. But you know, I mean, most of the worst things that have ever happened to me, I did it. I'm the reason it happened. Or I had a hand in it. Let's put it that way. Okay? And I bet you are too. If we all, okay, so when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about that stuff. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about the stuff that at least privately, you know, we don't have to have a big confession time right now, okay? But, but at least privately, if you're willing to say, yeah, you know what, there's a time back there when, man, I, I set some things in motion and I've never dealt with it. I've, I've, I've just kind of hoped that enough time and scar tissue and you see what I mean? Would would just block it away, and 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 I'll just I don't think about it as much anymore. But it's still there, okay. And and if we really wanted, if we really want to get our future set clearly, the first thing we got to do is get this anchor from the past and get free of it. Look, sometimes it's just it's just decisions we need to make. Sometimes it's sin we need to confess and repent of, okay. But but also, there are times, there are still, there are like generational things that go through families too. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting, but if you start to deal with it, you find things, things like alcoholism and abuse, and there's certain traits, I mean, there's more, but there's some that are just really clear. You can kind of just see them following down through families, okay? And so, there's, the good news is that you're not helpless, okay? That can all be dealt with, and so whether there are, Choices you need to make or there are things you need to pray through. Uh, I, you know, I just want you to, to understand that, that we can deal with our past. We don't have to be chained to it. We don't have to be held back by it. We can, we can deal with that and put it to rest, put it behind us, because we can put it under the blood of Jesus and be free of it, okay? And so I just, I just want to, you know, offer to you that any of you have areas like that in your life uh, and, and you'd like... For us to, to pray, we can pray through that with you. And so I'd like, you know, Pastor Cindy and I do that together. And so I just want to, I just want to share with you the opportunity. Just call the church and, you know, we've set up, it's a short, we just pray with you to break, help you break free of that stuff. But, but that first step to moving forward and dealing with these hardships is to, is to recognize and take responsibility for our past. Second part of that, you know, I'm really thankful I serve a God that doesn't have a hair trigger temper. I'm so thankful I serve a God that doesn't like fly off the handle. And what, you know, what do they say? Flying off the handle and fits a rage, right? Or, you know, some comment like that. I'm so glad that's not the God I serve. I'm, I'm so glad I serve a God who is patient, who is patient. He is long suffering. And he is a God who gives me and you, he gives people. But he even gives nations time and opportunity to turn to him, to repent, and to be saved. Part of that, when God deals in our hearts, that we do have to understand is he can, we, can, we can deal with these chains that are holding us to the past, right? Okay. The practical side of that, though, is once that's prayed for, there's probably some changes that need to happen in our lives. You know, like I may not be able to hang out with some of the people I used to hang out with. I mean, simple example, right? I mean, if, if somebody has a problem with alcohol, you can pray and for God to free you from that addiction, okay? But you probably shouldn't hang out at the bar with your old bar buddies anymore. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, there's, there's the spiritual aspect but, but there's also the practical aspect, too, right? I mean, I, you know, it said I've got to take responsibility for your past, but you also got to take responsibility for today, right, and the decisions you make today. And if there's things that you know drag you down and drag you back, you probably shouldn't do those anymore. You need to change. And so we, we need to make those kind of decisions. Look, think about it. A hundred years before when Jonah had been to Nineveh, and it says it was a great revival, it says it covered the whole city. I mean, the way Scripture presents it is the entire city re repented and, and turned to God. Now, what Scripture doesn't tell us is now it's 100 years later, were there still any followers of God in Nineveh? It, we don't know. Okay, but here's the deal. What God is prophesying 
through this vision he gave Naaman is that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And if you remember what I read in chapter 1, it says you will have no descendants. It says I'm going to destroy you totally. So listen, if you contend to hang out in Nineveh with people who are vile, brutal, idolaters, and you're a follower of God, it's not going to turn out well for you. Because here's the problem, and this may not sound fair, but it's real life. You get caught up in the net. You know? I mean, we don't know it, but when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, if there was a good guy just happened to be passing through town that day on his way to somewhere, he burned up too. No, I mean, and I, you know, do you understand that? I mean, this is, this is serious. There are, God is, is patient and kind and long-suffering, but a day comes when God deals with the issues that he said he's going to deal with, and when that moment comes, it's, you don't want to be in that town. So part of us taking responsibility for our lives is we may, besides repenting and praying and breaking these things off and turning from them, we may need to make some changes in our lives. And like I said, not hang out with certain people, live in certain places, go certain places, do certain things, because it is going to drag us down, hold us back, but it could also leave us in the wrong place at the wrong time when the moment comes. Now, we can't, look, those folks who were in church yesterday morning and were killed, that's not one of the, they were in the right place, right? I mean, they were in God's house. I, don't, don't hear me that anytime something bad happens, you're in the wrong place. I, but I'm telling you, it can happen. And so what we want to do is do with the things we can control on. We can control, okay? God's patience is long, but it's not forever. And at a proper time, he will execute a measured and just response to evil and those who oppose him and his people. So when we find ourselves in that tough season, we've got to take responsibility. We've got to acknowledge that we may have some responsibility in the problem. We want to confess and repent it to God. We want to receive his forgiveness, and we want to remove that part of the issue from our lives, right? And, and, and like I said, if need be, get some new friends or you know, change some things about it, okay? So that's the first thing is just acknowledging our past and dealing with it. But the second thing is we want to trust God to see us through let me put that into really simple terms. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't, you know, hang in there. Look, there. sometimes we need to hang in there even when we don't see any solutions, when we don't see God moving. The people of Judah were living in this oppression for like 100 years. I mean, there were, there were, there were days when they would go, we've got to hang in there, but, I mean, there's no, there's no thunder of... Uh, Horse feet coming over the ridge. You know, the cavalry is not, you know, they don't hear the cavalry coming. Do you see what I mean? There, look, there are days we talk about there are job issues. There are times we're in our jobs. Man, I had a period in my career. It was, it was just tough. It was really tough. And it, it felt discouraging because it felt like a lot of things weren't going the way they should go. Okay? And yet, and, and, yet, and you don't hear, you don't see any, any relief. You don't see any change. You don't. You know, you can't, and, and for, if you're not careful, you'll start to believe nothing can ever change. This is just how it is. But, but what God wants us to do is he wants us to trust him and believe that he will see us through. He will see us through, and he wants us to hang in there. Look, uh, even for these folks of Judah, like I said, when Nahum, remember, when, when Nahum gave his prophecy, the people who heard it, would have really had to receive it in faith because if you go back to the historical documents and the dates and the times, at the time of Nahum's prophetic word, the Assyrian Empire, by all accounts, was at the height of their power. They were, they were not crumbling and in decline where this word would be received and go, well, yeah, this makes sense because they're kind of falling apart back at headquarters. No. They would have looked and gone, how can this possibly happen? There's nothing going on in the, in the world around us that would suggest that, that this is going to change. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord, those who don't give up, those who trust in God to see him through, it says they're going to renew, renew their strength. They're going to renew their strength. They're going to soar on wings as eagles. Run and not grow weary. Walk and not be faint. We've got to trust God to see us through. And when we do, 
He'll, he'll give us strength. He'll give us that ability to endure when we trust in him. Look, you and I cannot control the stuff that comes our way, can we? I mean, we, we get challenges that you kind of go, where did that come from? Okay, And not all of them are caused by us. I don't, don't leave here thinking that. Okay, I mean, the enemy just is looking for ways to attack you and me. He'll find any opportunity to do it. So we, we got stuff that comes our way. We can't control that, but what we can control is how we choose to respond. Right? That is our choice. Our choice, our response is our choice. And some of you that have known me a long time know that I like to make a big deal about two words, react and respond. Okay? And the problem in our lives, a lot of times, when we make matters worse is because we respond. Or excuse me, we react. We react. That's that knee jerk. That's that, you know, you hit me, I hit you right back. You know, you yell at me, I yell right back, right? That's that, that knee jerk re- reaction, okay? And, and most of us, probably if we've ever said anything foolish to a, a spouse or to our kids, we probably would think, man, if I had just like counted to three, <laughs> you know, counted to five, took a breath, right, and then responded, I might have said something very different, Okay. So that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's how we respond to them. You know, here's the deal with trusting God to see us through and the stuff we go through. Every one of us has a sphere of influence. Right? Now, there's, there's this feeling, right, that, oh, who am I? You know, there's, yeah, I understand that we hold, we want the, the leaders of our country or uh, the, the mayor or, you know, the, the, the CEO of this place, that we want to hold them to this standard because, and they should, I mean, you know, okay, they're in high, powerful leadership positions, okay. But if we're not careful, we start to give ourselves a pass because we want to say, well, who am I? I mean, what does it matter? Well, here's the deal. All of us have a sphere of influence. There, there are people in your lives who are watching you. And they will take their cues on how to live their lives from how you live your life particularly on the difficult days and at your worst moments. Amen. Good. I'm glad you said that, Irene. Listen, Irene, they, 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 there are always people watching us, right? And, and they are watching us, I hope, on our good days when we're shining and saying everything that's poetic and proper and all that. But I guarantee it. You know what? Those things, they might forget in a heartbeat. But let them hear you cuss. <laughs> let them, no, you know what I mean? Let's be practical. Let them hear you cuss. They'll never forget it. Let them hear you, you know, yell back or treat a store clerk rudely or improperly. It can be the smallest, in one way, it can be the smallest things of life, but they'll never forget those things, and they'll, and they'll, they'll go, Okay, well, now I see how to do that. I see how, I see how our family handles that. You see what I mean? Look, we, we got to remember, our kids are watching. Our grandkids are watching. Neighbors are watching. Coworkers are watching. And, and, and here's why that's really so important, is their attitude toward you and about any testimony of your faith that you ever summon up the courage to share will all be filtered first by what they've seen you do far more than anything you ever say. They're going to say, how does this person live? How does this person act? And then we come and tell them all about love and kindness and forgiveness when all they've seen us do is show, you see what I mean? And so it, we, we need to remember that people are watching us. And, and what's really important is there are people watching us that we don't even know are watching us. You may have fans that you don't know about. You may have followers that you don't know about. And so our, our, our goal is, is to live lives, right, that wouldn't get in the way of them coming to know Jesus. It wouldn't, and, and so this thing about trusting God, this thing about believing that God's going to see you through, I mean, on that worst day, hanging in there, don't, you know, and, 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 and remembering, I mean, sometimes on that worst day, 
Well, in fact, let me ask you, what do you do on the worst day? How do you, how do you fight the worst day and get through it? What are some of the things that we can do? Irene. Yeah, get quiet. Get into the Word of God. Get into His presence and ask Him. Anything else? What else can we do on that worst day? Anyone? Feel free. We can pray. We can also praise Him, can't we? Man, I mean, it says He inhabits our praise. Call a friend. Listen, this is what church, one of the things church ought to be for. You got a bunch of phone numbers, call a friend. Call somebody you know that cares about you, that won't blab it all over the internet, right? Call them up and say, I'm having a bad day. You know, I'm I'm blessed, okay? This guy wasn't, he was another believer. It's not so much that he was a believer friend, I mean, although he was, but he was just a friend. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad that some of my friends were believers, but, I, but sometimes it's just he was a great guy. I worked with him for years, okay, and I really liked this guy because we knew each other for so long and, and did so many things together. I knew I could trust him. I mean, I knew I could trust him, okay? And, you know, there were, there were times when at different times I, uh, we had kind of this joke because every time he had a bad day, he would call me, okay? And so this... You know, the line was, he would call me on the phone, and if he was having a bad day, he'd say, I've left the building. <laughs> and I'd say, where are you? And so I'd just come join him. And, and all I do is, he didn't want me to fix anything. He just wanted, he just wanted to talk. Okay, look, there's, be, be that friend. Be that, be, have a friend you know you can call. Be that friend that could have the call. And just let, and just encourage people. Okay, you know what? Uh, I'm so glad, my God, it says in Psalm 121, God never sleeps or slumbers. Never sleeps or slumbers. I'm just glad that I've got a God that's watching over me 24-7, 365. I'm, God, I'm, I'm glad I've got a God that I don't have to go wake him up and, and tell him I've got a problem. I'm glad of God that I can go to him anytime, day or night, and let him know what's troubling me, and I can ask him to fill me with his peace, his love, and his joy. And I've I got to tell you, been through some tough times, folks, and I think you have too, but I have never once gotten before God and said, God, I need some help, and got up from my knees feeling like I got nothing. I've never felt that way, and I bet you haven't either. I mean, God, I may not see the whole solution, but I get some peace. I get some confidence. I get some love from God. I get something that says, you can get through this. Don't quit. Hang in there. Last thing we need to do quickly here is third thing. You've got to be confident in his promises, right? If we're going to deal with the past, we're going to hang in there in the present, right? We're not, we're not, is, is then I'm going to be confident in his promises for my future. And that's the, you know, is hang in there. It's like confess the past, hang in there. But then this is the don't quit part. Because you know what? You never know how close you are to that fulfillment. Here's, here's the thing. When, when that prophecy was given by Nahum to the people of Judah regarding God's going to, like, get the oppression off their necks, we don't know exactly, but there's different scholars that, because of dates and places, that think it may have been as much as three years later that, 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 that the Babylonians and the Medes attacked Nineveh, and that's who actually wiped them all out, okay? But... It may have, it, it, it didn't appear to happen the next day. It appears that there was still some time. Now, we go, well, God, why would you bother telling them there's good news coming? And, well, because sometimes you just need some good news right now to get you through the day. You know? Okay? I had a friend who needed a job. And, and, and for a while, he thought he had a job. He was working towards the interviews and thought it was all looking good. Well, that job didn't pan out, like, okay, for, after about six weeks of, you know, thinking, hoping, and working towards it. But about a week later, he got a new job, and it was actually a better job than the one that he had been kind of working on, you know, during this interim time. And he's going like, man, you know, I'm really sorry this one didn't work out. And I, was going, and I thought, well, that, you got to understand, God was doing this for you to encourage you through this period of time so that you didn't give up hope because there were people thinking about you and talking about you. You were feeling like wanted and valued, like somebody might want to hire me. 
But what he was really doing was doing that to also kind of set you aside, hold you over here, because the job he really had for you wasn't there yet. Listen, we got a God that can work it all out. I mean, the, the problem may be too complex for you or me. I'm glad I don't need to solve all my problems. Aren't you glad I don't have to solve all your problems? No, I mean, think about it, folks. I mean, we get some stuff in our lives that's kind of complicated. And it seems kind of like hard to figure out. I'm I'm glad I serve a God that's bigger and smarter than all that. And if something doesn't, you know, it's really cool. I serve a God that if he wants me to have a job over here and that job doesn't exist today, not a problem. He'll create it. All of a sudden, some guy in the company will go, you know what, I think we need a job like this. Oh, yeah, that sounds really smart. And everybody will just sign off on it. And all of a sudden, God will move me there, and there's the job. It didn't exist a week before. They weren't even thinking about it a week before. Do you understand any stuff like that happens? There are people who make a decision to be confident in God's promises. Look, we've talked about uh, finances before. And I had a guy years ago I mean, who had a crazy story, you know, about the problems he were in. And he decided he was going to start tithing, except he couldn't afford to tithe. He said, I got more debts, you know, I mean, financially. I mean, if I actually started to tithe right now, I can't pay the fixed bills I've got. You know, I mean, my rent, my car payment, you know, I, I can't cover the stuff I have to do. I'm legally obligated to do. I said, okay, fine. Just, just start giving something. Tell God you're committed to be a tither, okay, but give what you can. I got to tell you, it's not a, it's, I'm not making this up. Within a week, he had a new job that he didn't even think he was going to get, that paid him so much more than his current job, he was actually, this is true, he was actually able to tithe on his new income and pay all the fixed bills he had. Listen, when when you decide to believe God and be confident in his promises, God can pull stuff together in your life that there is no, that you would go, that's impossible, that can't happen, except with God. Scripture tells us all things are possible. The question is, do we actually live that way? Do 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 we actually walk in that path? Don't quit. Rely on his promises. And remember that just because there's a, delay, there's a delay, that doesn't mean there's a denial. Look to his promise. His promises are faithful and true. I mean, last example, okay? We have a child. We have three kids. I won't pick out which one. We have one of them. That, fortunately, all our kids love God today. Okay? We had one that knew God, followed God, but kind of went through a period of you know, didn't like completely walk away, but just kind of veered off course for a while, okay? And just, you know, faith was there, but not really important. And, you know, just uh, schedule is a little too busy to do faith things, okay? That was killing me. And I, you know, at first you go, do I get mad about it? Do I try and argue? Do I try and, you know, logic? You know, you guys know what happens if you do that. Nothing good. So I decided the only thing I could do, which kind of sounds like a funny way to say it, the only thing I left to do was pray. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm human, you know, but I decided to pray. And I prayed every day. I lifted her up before God every day. Lord, thank you. Mighty woman of God, following God, trusting you walking with you. Thank you. I didn't see it, but I believed it. I was going to claim it. I was going to claim what I wanted to see. And I got to tell you, it took a while, but God's promises are true. And today, it's a very different story. Okay? And it wasn't going to happen. Think about the opportunities, the trials in your life where you have a chance to, to get locked by the past, to to decide to try and solve it yourself and not trust God or you decide to quit too early and not give God time, not have faith in him that yes, sometimes I don't understand God's timing but God didn't promise me I'd understand his timing (laughs) right, he just told me to live by faith because if God did everything in the timing I wanted him to the truth of it is it would not take faith it would just be like a ATM, stick the card in, right? Get something back. God never promised us that. He promised, he told us if we'll, if we live by faith. 
And so I just want to encourage you today. Look, wait on God. Don't quit. How many of you are saved? Well, okay, yeah. It's kind of a, yeah, I, I know. That's kind of a dangerous question. Okay, here's the only reason. I didn't mean that. To, but he waited on you. He waited on you. He let you be alive long enough to get around to coming to him. Okay. Why can't we wait on him? Why does he have to jump at our command? He was patient and waited on us. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to end it with this. So just remember when God answers your prayer, when he solves the problem, let's make sure we're, we're one of the folks that gets down on our knees and gives him praise and thanks for what he did. Let's not forget, let's not get so happy with the New Deal that we run out and have a party and forget to praise God, right, for what he did for us. Would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? Just everybody, just if you would, just, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes. Look, uh, ma'am, you know, we all know life's got a lot of great days in it, but we also know there's some tough days, and we've been talking about those, and you know, nobody's looking around. But if right now, if you're one of those folks, you'd say, man, right now I'm in the storm. And, you know, I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good storm. And I don't even see shore. And I'm kind of, you know, whether it's helpless, frustrated, whatever it is. But if right now you're in the middle of that, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand if that would be you. Okay. So now, good news is God's in control. God will not allow evil to persist forever. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So for you today, we'll take responsibility for the past. We're going to hang in there and trust God to see us through. And we're going to decide that we won't quit. But we're going to wait on God's deliverance and we're going to rest in those promises that he's made. Nahum 1.7, we read it earlier, but it says, The Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So, Lord, today, we just come before you, Lord, and we choose to trust in you. Lord, you are good. We thank you that you are our refuge. So, Lord, today, I pray that you would touch every life here. Lord, calm the waters. Grant us your peace. Fill us with your wisdom. God, I pray that today we would walk from this place, leave this place, Lord, renewed in our strength, our faith, and our trust in you. In Jesus' precious and holy name.